Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. Alright, so we are in Hebrews. Um, approaching God. Remember last week I told you that the, the book Hebrews is very much about how we approach God and that the author is unknown, was written close close to after Jesus ascended, 6050 AD. And we're not sure who wrote it, but yo, we are glad that it was written. And we are glad that it f- forms part of the, the collection of scriptures that we call the Living Bible. Or at least I am. Thank you so much. There we go. <laughs> Hebrews 2. Let's read the entire chapter. It's not that long. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to His will. Father, we ask You for signs, wonders, and various miracles as gifts from You, Holy Spirit, to be distributed among us according to You. Your will. Don't you want to just close your eyes and just say, Father, may this word be my declaration this morning. This is what we desire, God. We don't want an empty religion. We want a living and active relationship, Lord. And Father, where we stand in the way of your signs, your miracles, your power, Holy Spirit, your working, I pray that you teach us to remove ourselves. Father, even now, won't you give us insights into the heavenly things that we can hear your voice, see with your eyes. In Jesus' name. I want to access your presence, Lord. Right, verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. As I'm reading it, does it also perplex you how they use the, is it the personal pronouns? For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. 
That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abram, you and I. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Bless your word, Lord. The book um, in the Bible is divided into the chapter into two sections. The first one says, warning against neglecting the salvation. And the second portion, the, the majority of the chapter, the founder of salvation. Right. Then you read this thing and you, you can see again, they're referencing angels like I said last time. They're referencing Jesus, the law. Old Testament. And we start to pick up that our writer of the book or the letter to the Hebrews, the early church, is well versed in the Jewish law and history. He quotes, just spills out of him as he writes, quotes Psalms, he quotes the old prophets. He, 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 it's full of it. And then there's, there's this thing that I pointed out is it starts with now him was done and then he left nothing outside his control. If you just look at verse 8, now I'm putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing outside his control. Who is the him and who is the he? <laughs> Please tell us. I don't know. <laughs> it's what I referenced or what I spoke of last week. Jesus is God, but Jesus was man. And he, and him, he, he made himself to die for us. But he was God. And it's that beautiful thing that we will never understand completely this side of eternity. Because now we see through a veil, and one day we will understand what the word says. But if we look at the first portion where it says neglecting the salvation... He's got a very pragmatic approach in writing to this. And, and I think he speaks from, from experience. He's speaking to Christians that have accepted Jesus Christ, not because they saw and knew Jesus Christ, but they have now heard it from the disciples who became the apostles, who became the early church, and they have gone and they've told the message of Jesus Christ. The message of salvation. And he speaks to them and he says, you guys should not neglect the message of salvation. Now we all know, sitting here in this church, we don't forget about the message of salvation ever, do we? We do not neglect this great message. Why? Why would we? What else could possibly consume our thoughts and our minds? And reading this chapter, again I find myself completely undone. 
judged, weighed, and found wanting because just the heading cuts to my very nature. Warning against neglecting salvation. Stop there. People don't even read further. Right there, right there, I find myself completely guilty. He says in this portion, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, commentaries will tell us that this message from the angels is the very law that Moses took down. That's how the Jewish tradition uh, or, or, or people processed it, that the law that was handed down to Moses was given to him by the hand of angels because he couldn't be in the presence of Yahweh lest he die. So when the, the, the writer here writes about the message from the angels, he's talking about the law. Who knows the commandments? Come on, who can ramble, rattle them down? No, 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 no. Yeah. Ten, man, the ten commandments, not the interpretation. Otherwise, we just read Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Who knows? Who can still just quickly remember from Sunday school days? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. No one else beside him. Yeah. Neighbor as yourself. Don't murder, don't steal. No idols. Or on your parents. Yes. <laughs> okay, as a congregation, collectively we know the Ten Commandments. Hallelujah. That's why we need each other. We can never go. <laughs> but that very thing that was written down is cons considered by the Jewish tradition. The angels came and wrote that, and when he refers to that, he's talking about the law. And then he says, now you've had that, the caretaker, the law. And what did the Lord do? It was quick to tell you what you did wrong. It was quick to tell you what's going to happen to you because you did it wrong. Caretaking of us. Helping us to stay in a place where we are holy, that we can dwell in the presence of Yahweh, the uncreated one. But knowing, God knowing, that it can never leave us there permanently. We could dwell to the best of our abilities, sometimes in the presence according to the law, but goodness me, we would exit that presence at some point because our natures would rise up against us. And then he, he opposes and he, and he puts it and compares it to how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And what does that come and do? It puts us permanently accessible into the presence of God. What do we do now? Where once we couldn't be in His presence through our acts. We couldn't stay there. Now, we can't stay there, but what do we do? We choose to step out. Because of the will of man, eh? The nature of man. So this, he's very pragmatic in his approach because I'm pretty sure he neglected the great work of salvation in his mind from time to time. And he writes to them as a first-hand experiencer of neglecting Jesus Christ. 
This week, I was humbled again when I went to the moment when I can say, that was my point of conversion. That was my point of salvation. That is when I knew as in no, as in no, as in no, <laughs> that I'm saved. Can I ask you to close your eyes? Who here has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Just raise your hand. Like a majority of us. Keeping your eyes closed, not to shame or anything. You can drop your hand. Can you go back to that moment when he saved you? Can you remember where you were? Can you remember what was said? I can remember the sounds, and I remember it was a chilly evening in the AFM church in Ranfontein. Can you remember, I, I remember the song, Hout Christ, the wooden cross, was played, and somebody sang it, and it was the worst rendition I've ever heard of the song, but the words undid me that evening, and I ran out of the church, and I cried on the pavement. I can smell the cold paving in that moment. Can you remember where you were? Can you remember sensory what you experienced that evening or that day, or that afternoon, that morning when Jesus saved you? When was the last time you thought about that? When was the last time you remembered that day, that very moment, when he came and translated you from darkness to light? Maybe you just want to take a moment and say, God, I thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you don't neglect me. <laughs> A.W. Tozer says, Jesus is not one of many ways to approach God, nor is he the best of several ways. He is the only way. Lord, help us to never forget. Never forget our salvation. The word salvation simply means to be rescued, saved from. ask myself from what I ask myself for what and this chapter conjures up this the founder of salvation the next portion from verse 5 to verse 18 he starts to speak about where this salvation thing comes from. And the first portion he speaks about, uh, for it was the angels God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking, it has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while lower than the angels, you have crowned him with glory and honor. 
And I want to take us back to Genesis 2. God says, let us make man in our image. And you know, he does it. And he creates Adam, and he creates Eve. And what happens? They live with him. Guys, before the fall, come, we look at the positive here. They lived and they dwelt with God. They heard his voice every day. They were in his presence, comfortable. The word of God says that he went with them and he said, what shall this animal be called? And somebody in their right mind thought, a long neck like that, surely it can only be giraffe. They dwelled like you and I. How's it, Heath? How's it? How's it, Brandon? We should get together. Yeah, let's do it. Oh, you're here. I'm here. Let's have a conversation. They dwelled together. Was God holy in Genesis? Could there be unholiness or brokenness in his presence? No. Because what happens if that comes into the presence of a holy God? It is dealt with. It is dealt with. How was it dealt with? Punishment, death, visceration, annihilation, wipeout. To Adam and Eve in his presence, perfect in his image, in his likeness, together, communion with God. Just as a reference, you guys remember Trinity was available there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, present there, like it is now. God's never changed. So in the presence of the Trinity, there sits Adam and Eve. And then what happens? I hear you, cat. That's right. The enemy appears. The hater of the soul of man, the destroyer of our destiny, our purpose, our image. He comes and he tempts with what? The pride of our hearts. I shall be like God. And they go and they eat of the fruit of the knowledge of. And what happens in that moment? Separation, yeah. But immediately, now, there's knowledge of what is bad. Before there was only knowledge of what was good, because they were only in the presence of what was good. Unjudged. Perfect. In the presence of God, who is eternally good. And in they bring brokenness before God. Separation comes. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I have some friends that are not Bible-believing, Jesus-following Christians. I'm just relevant like that. <laughs> not really, man. Come on. But you know we have them. And when you say this to them, that you are a fallen man, you are broken, they're like, don't you judge me. And you go to a parent and you say, you know your child isn't perfect. Don't you start. Little Johnny is perfect. How can he not be? He was born just the other day. He's perfect. And three weeks later when little Johnny doesn't want to sleep, they phone you and you say, 
<laughs> I don't know what to do. Like, no, have your perfect child. It's really, Johnny's perfect. Go for it. Does it feel like perfection? Not at all. In yourself, your own nature. <sighs> this is now cutting close. But if you had to be, not even with other people, but you just have to be vulnerable with yourself. How perfect are you? Okay, we have some perfections here. How perfect are you? Let's take it one, one step further. How, how fallen is your nature still? Let's take it one step further. Scale of one to four. Four being completely fallen. Yeah, there's no hope for you in yourself. Like we, we know that's it. But you haven't even, yeah, one being, uh, you're pretty, pretty darn amazing. People actually call you Teresa by accident. <laughs> Come, let's take it home, people. Where do you fall? One, two, three, four. I'm not asking you to shout it out. I don't want to expose you. I will expose myself. I'm far closer to four than I'd like. On that simple little scale, I am frequently so close to four. I have been serving Jesus Christ for 24 years. I have devoted myself to studying the word, to preaching. I've given up and sacrificed to be in full-time ministry. I'm privileged enough to get paid to do what I do. And I wish I could tell you guys that all of that has brought me consistently to a one. But in myself, I am a hopeless, hopeless case. <laughs> Thank you, Derek. I, I know some of you are closer to three and four than I am. And I thank God for you because you are examples to me. Closer to one and two. Sorry, my love. Thank you. That's why God gave me a wife. Eh? But Eden is referenced here. The foundation, uh, the founder of salvation is referenced us in Eden. It's crowned with glory, crowned with that, crowned with honor. And we get to be what God has called us to be in his image, in his cre creative nature, in his authority. We are called to rule and we go and waste it. And we are living in that consequence now, aren't we? And then he goes, and after he references Eden, he goes to Jesus Christ, and he moves on from saying, we were crowned with glory as, as God's creation, and then the, the epitome and the pinnacle of it, the paragon of it. Now, Jesus steps in, God becoming man, and he is the paragon of holy, worthy, righteous, glory, honor, everything. And he references that. It's always been God's intent to be with us in relationship. Do you know that? Do you know that the Father yearns for you when you're not in communion with him? You know, he misses you if he could miss. 
Jesus comes and through his suffering he perfects what we stuffed up and he says come into my presence now I ask myself what has this got to do with approaching God we've answered the question why we need to be saved because we all have a broken nature a fallen nature but how does this help us to approach God? Because once we are now redeemed in Christ and saved in Him, it's done. Now we are sorted. We are saved. Oh, it's just me that thinks about the Bible like that. Because we read the Bible and we, we read it with such categoric principles. Just come to salvation in Christ and Bob's your uncle. You're sorted. So now that 24 years ago, I'm sorted. I'm saved. Salvation means that we are to live constantly in his presence. That is why salvation cannot be seen just as a moment. It's got to be seen as a life. A life lived out the salvation of Jesus Christ. Simple in my mind. When I just got saved, I became aware that I needed God. A few months later, I realized my lifestyle was not leading to life in myself or glory to God. I changed my lifestyle. Then I realized, okay, now, now my finances <laughs> are not saved. <laughs> Goodness gracious me, my finances were not saved. <sighs> I had a collection of credit cards. I think we could play poker with how many cards I had. It wasn't saved! But the concept of God started to drop in my heart. Salvation of my finances. Then what else had to happen? Because so now, now I'm saved. Now, now my finances are a disaster and they need to be saved. And now I come and I realize, my goodness, my lifestyle in who I am and the expression of my sexuality, ish, it needs saving. And God starts working on that. And in that I get a word that one day I will have a wife and many children. Isn't it good how we see the faithfulness of God fulfilling his word? And that had to get saved. And then I, I had to realize that my career is not the fulfillment of my identity. And what had to get saved? My identity. Even more. But as Christians... We sometimes approach other people and say, well, you're saved now. Just live up to it. But for us, we love the journey of salvation. You see, we, we mix up the concepts of that point of conversion when you realize that you need saving. Without God's intervention, you are, you are going to hell. You cannot do better in yourself, in your own strength. We confuse that point with the redemptive nature of Jesus Christ. 
which is part of salvation. We confuse it with the atoning nature of Christ, which is where he became our propitiation. And he puts the blood out there that says, don't kill them, they are covered under the forgiveness of sin. Tim Keller says something. Where's my Tim Keller quote? Somewhere here. He says, if we underestimate the price paid, we lack the reverence and the gratitude for it. So he says simply, if you think you were good, you're not gonna be humble, revere God for what he's done, and give thanks in all things for it. Now we all go to that point where we realize that point of conversion, I'm so grateful for that. Can I ask you, are you living that mindset of salvation out in every day, saving parts of your life? You see, if we don't live under that understanding of salvation, we judge others and we become their law. But if you understand that God's salvation is worked out in you every day, in every way, you live with the reverence and the gratitude and the humility to give God the glory. What has it got to do with approaching God? You see, if you think that there was one event when you got saved and that was it, you think if you stuff up, that one event has been nullified. And what do you do? You go and hide like Adam and Eve. You go and cover your sin with your own best works. You sew together leaves and drape it over you. And you say, oh God, please look at the leaves and not at me. And what does he do? He comes to you and he says, here you go. Huh? I'll make you some clothes. I'll cover your shame. And I will cover your nakedness. For us as a people to live in a constant state of approaching God, we have to realize that it wasn't just a point of salvation. It was just the start of salvation that's being walked out now that's being worked out. It makes life livable with God. It makes other people approachable in God. It makes you relevant to those people around you that don't understand the revelation of who He is completely like we do. It helps you to shake off sin and guilt and shame like a duck. Water off my back. And you know what? If the enemy can keep you from going back to your father and saying, I've stuffed up, he's got you. Because you lost your temper now. Tomorrow you're going to lose something else. And you get worse and worse and worse unless you step back into the thing of God. Thank you for saving me there 24 years ago and thank you for saving me still. 
and for atoning for me still and for being my propitiation still and for redeeming still. Now salvation becomes relevant for a lost and fallen world. Saved from what? From who we are, a broken, fallen nature. Saved for what? God's ultimate glory. It's his redeeming nature. He takes all things to work it for the good of those called by him to walk in his ways for those that he loves. That's who he is. <laughs> His redemptive nature. After Adam and Eve fell, immediately he was like, how can I redeem this? They've stuffed up, but how can I redeem it? It's who he is. He is the God of all salvation. Oh, it is not thy hold on Christ that saves thee. It is Christ. It is not thy joy in Christ that saves thee. It is Christ. It's, it's not even thy faith in Christ, though that be the instrument. It is Christ's blood and merit. Charles Spurgeon. That is my best take on interpreting chapter two. I will study it for the rest of my life like I study the rest of it. And I will share with you what God shares with me. But may we as a people not look at our salvation as a point of conversion, but as a lifestyle that needs to be lived out, present in the redeeming and atoning nature of God. Because as we do that, we are icebreakers for other people to walk into a life of His salvation. Father, we thank You that we as a church can come together and sit under your word, Lord. Father, your word is far more living and active and powerful than what I can ever do justice, Lord. I pray that it will come and cut to the core and sever where there are mindsets that need to be changed, Father, and, and where there are things that, that, to be, that need to be rooted out, Father, that that's what your word will come and do with us as a people, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that you convict hearts. That's not my job. That's you, Holy Spirit. But, our God, I pray that people will realize that as you bring conviction, you bring empowering to walk out of what it is that they need to walk out of. Lord, that when you bring conviction, you bring enabling grace to walk into what you have called us to. Individuals and a church, my God. Ignite us to be your people who carry in us the reality of the saving work of Jesus Christ, redeeming, atoning, the very propitiation for, for our sins and our nature, putting us right with God, Lord. And God, may we commit to walk this thing out with you for as long as we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za.